Welcome to the Pen and the Yod. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anshayim at Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Eig about this week's Torah portion of Nassau. What have we learned from COVID? So are you a big drinker? I've been drinking more definitely the last year than I usually do, but uh, yeah, in fact, I'm drunk out of my mind right now. This is going to be a lot of fun. Okay. Well, that's exciting. I, COVID, I guess, has been good for the wine industry. Yeah, no doubt about that. I think um, we're all looking for a few extra pleasures and trying to give ourselves a, a little treat when we can and just relax in times of stress. And um, I'll admit that I'm in that, uh, in that group. Takes the edge off. It does sometimes. So in our portion this week, Nassau, we have the inverse of this idea. We have, a, we have the institution of the Nazir or the Nazarite. And this is a person who takes a vow of kind of Jewish asceticism. That means that he uh, will not cut his hair for a year. He will uh, shoe any grape or wine products. And there are a variety of other strictures. And there are people, the Torah seems to acknowledge, who were not born to be a Kohen. They weren't literally, or their father was not a Kohen. And therefore, they can't be a Kohen, can't be a Levite, unless your father's a Levite. And so this is an Israelite who wants to attain that level of, of purity. And so this institution, in a, kind of a, in a way, is, is, is sort of an effort to acknowledge that. So the, the interesting part of all this isn't so much that some people have a um, have a need to 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 be in that category. I once knew a guy who, when I was growing up in high school, <clears throat> uh, it was the day after Yom Kippur. So I said, "Hey, you want to go get breakfast?" He says, "No, I'm fasting." So I thought we were supposed to fast yesterday. He says, "I know, but I didn't. It didn't. I didn't suffer enough. It didn't. It didn't bother me enough. So I'm fasting two days in a row." I don't think that Judaism is all about suffering, and the proof for this, or or giving things up, the proof for it is that at the end of the period of time that the uh, Nazir, the Nazarite, took a vow for, he has to come to the place of worship, to the 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 uh, Mikdash, the um, Mishkan, or to the Beit Hamikdash, to the temple, and he has to offer a sin offering. Right, which is unusual, right? Wouldn't you think that here's a person who's devoted the past period of time to being in um, being in a state of ritual purity, and yet he has to bring a sin offering? Why? The answer the rabbis give is because Judaism is not a religion that of asceticism. In fact, we take the best example of that is the vehicle for sanctification on Friday night. It's wine. We raise up a glass of wine or grape juice, the very substance that the the nazir was to give up. We use it to bring in bring in the Sabbath day. So basically, every aspect of life is enjoyable and should be embraced, but only if we raise it up. We're not base figures. We're not animals, right? We can conceptually and consciously raise up an experience. Um, and so in that way, Judaism is sort of anti-aesthetic. Huh. It's nice to hear that. Um, sometimes I think we don't feel that way. Sometimes we feel like we're, we're, um, you know, we're suffering and sacrificing, and, and we are these, um, you know, people who who really um, 
made an art of suffering. It seems like sometimes, and, you know, I don't know if you ever heard the joke of, you know, why don't Jews uh, enjoy alcohol more? Why don't they no, drink why? more? Tell me. Because it interferes oh, with their suffering. <laughs> so, right, right, right. Because God forbid we should give it up. Although I have to tell you a story that this just prompts is that um, I once knew a woman and her name was Rose. And her husband sadly died, um, tragically. He had just retired, and they were really very nice people, very involved in the shul. And he was looking forward to his retirement because he wanted to do more with his wife and get involved more in, in, in the things that brought him pleasure. And he had a heart attack and died very shortly after he retired. And his wife suffered terribly. And the person who died also had a sister, and her name was Rose. And she was suffering terribly because they were very close. And one day the wife, Rose, called me up and she said, Rabbi, I got to talk to you. So she came in and she says, you know, my, this is a hard time for me. And I said, no, this is just terrible. And she says, and, but my, my sister-in-law, Rose, is suffering. And she calls me like three times a day. She doesn't even talk. She starts crying into the phone. And the woman looked at me and she says, Rabbi, she's not allowing me to enjoy my own suffering. And I thought that was such an interesting insight that there are, there are times when we suffer that are appropriate and right, and we shouldn't try and divert people from that, but to live in that universe for long periods of time, that's a whole other story. And so it's interesting that you, that you use that joke because in a sense, you know, the world associates Jews with suffering, but Judaism is so much more positive than that. Now there is a time to suffer. We shouldn't divert ourselves from that, but for the most part, Judaism is, is a celebratory religion. So it's interesting that we, that that joke is interesting in and of itself. Yeah. And it's, and I, what I hear you saying is that, you know, there are sacrifices and there are restraints built in. We do fast for Yom Kippur. We do abstain from, from certain things during Shabbat. We abstain from certain things during Passover, but there are, we don't, view it simply as a time of abstention and a time of, uh, you know, punishing ourselves that it's, um, that we also enjoy other things at the same time. And with Shabbat, obviously, Shabbat is meant to be a time of celebration of, of family and celebration of life. And, you know, the, uh, the, the things that we give up are things that allow us to focus on more on pleasures. For sure. And sometimes we allow our history to define us, right? It's like everything is an oi, you know? when Judaism is so much different than that and it's so much more positive. You know, there's a story of three women sitting on a park bench, older women, and it's a nice day and they're sitting outside and the first one says, oi, and the uh, next one says, vesmir, and the third one says, gewalt, and the middle one says, you know, I thought we said we weren't going to talk about our children. <laughs> You know, this, this idea of, you know, kvetching all the time is such a Jewish, you know, it, it's such a Jewish cultural idea. But I do have to tell you that it's right. much more Ashkenazic than Svartic. Cantor Mizraki taught me this. He said, and he sometimes mentions this at the last service before um, of, of Yom Kippur, Nila, he um, starts with something called the Krakover Nigun. It's uh, from Eastern Europe. It's a song without words. It's slow and it's and it and it's very gripping and beautiful, but it sort of rips your heart out. 
And then he moves into a Sephardic tune that's traditional to be chanted at that time, Madonna Slichot, which is the exact opposite. It's upbeat. It's, it's, it's fun. You kind of smile. And it's just so powerful. And in a very real way, they're reflective of very different histories. And we shouldn't let our histories define us. Judaism, it has very sad moments, but Jewish history has sad moments. But Judaism is always life-affirming. Right, So the Nazir has to bring a sin offering. But that doesn't mean that we live this life of asceticism. right? And we break a glass at a wedding. But we say Mazel Tov, we turn back to life. right? So again and again throughout Jewish history and all of our practices, they're really life-affirming in that way. And so it's, an, it's interesting because your joke kind of reflects more Jewish history than Jewish practice. Yeah, that's a really good point. And the religion is is what got us through that some of that dark history. And I think the joy that's built into the religion, uh, the celebration that's built into it, is what sustained us during those difficult times. So you're right, it shouldn't define the religion. Uh, if anything, it should define the um, power of, of the religion to get us through those dark times. Everything is done consciously. So, you know, this whole notion of reciting a blessing, saying a blessing before you have a drink, saying a blessing before you have something to eat, all of these kind of pleasurable ideas. Sexual relations are defined as well, can be through the menstrual cycle and things like that. So in a traditional household, a husband and wife would abstain from sexual relations up to two weeks a month. So there's a period, really, a period of time where we're kind of abstaining and say, well, what's so great about that? But at the other, on the other hand, when people re-engage with each other, think of how, how pleasurable that is. And in other words, while we take pains to enjoy ourselves in life, right, we, we really focus on that, we do it consciously. We do it consciously to discover how beautiful something can be and how wonderful it can be without making it negative, without focusing on the negative, we can turn something positive. And the reality is, is that we don't take things for granted as well. Oh, that makes perfect sense. You appreciate something more when you don't have um, unlimited access to it and or when you, um, you know, when you take time away from it and uh, from, from a distance, uh, you, can, uh, you can see it more fully. That certainly makes sense. And that uh, ties into my joke too, I guess, right? Like... It does. Okay, so I'll end with it. Since, since we've been talking about pleasure and pain, I'm, I'll I'll end with a joke. I'm not sure if it's pleasurable or painful, but we'll I'll let you decide. We'll listen to see if you laugh. Man goes to a rabbi. He says, "Rabbi, I want to be a kohen." He says, "I'm sorry, sir." The rabbi says, "You, you know, either you're born a kohen or you're not born a kohen." So you know, I can't really do that for you. He says, "Listen, I have a big contribution I want to make. If you'll do this for me." It, I, and I know it'll make a huge difference for the shul. And here's that he gives them this huge amount of money. And the rabbi thinks, says, sir, I have my integrity. I can't do it. Well, the man calls the president of shul. Within five minutes, the president of shul calls the rabbi. And suddenly the rabbi is calling the man back and says, well, okay, we'll do it. We'll do it. It's okay. Let's have a quiet ceremony. He says, no, no, rabbi. We're doing, we're doing it right. I want to be called up on Yom Kippur for the Kohen Aliyah when we read from the Torah. That's what I have to have. And you need to make an announcement that I'm a Kohen. So the rabbi says, okay, we'll do it. So it's Yom Kippur, the shul's full. They're about to read from the Torah. And the rabbi says, can I just ask you, why is this so important to you that you're making such a big deal about this? Well, my father was a Kohen. My grandfather was a Kohen. I want to be a Kohen. 
Okay. I think I, I think you were just laughing to be polite here. So on that Well that's a slow a slow dawn. You know, I'm a, I'm a little slow and I, I've been drinking no, too much or, this morning already, but I I like that joke. Okay, like well that. but or maybe we just need to abstain from jokes that aren't funny. I'm not sure. All right. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks, Rabbi.